0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Excess for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today our triple header hits all three M's, kicking things off with New Mutants 21, then turning to space for the last Annihilation, Wiccan and Hulkling number one one-shot, before using our trade-waiting segment to take a look at Thor and Loki double trouble one through four. New Mutants 21 continues to examine the darkness of youth culture on Krakoa. And now the brood are involved and my precious baby Brew is in danger and my heart breaks and I'm so nervous for him. But hey, hopefully it turns out a little bit better than things are going for most of the young mutants in the pages of New Mutants. Now, I want to make a big shout-out to Dion, who stopped by and guested in this segment. It was such a great time having him, and he's welcome back anytime. We hope you guys enjoy this segment just as much as we enjoyed making it. And if you guys like what you hear, you'll probably like what you see, so don't forget to check us out over on YouTube, Twitter, and Patreon at X's for Podcast, where we have original content every day.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to our next segment of X's for Podcast, where we cover weekly mutants, Marvel, and magic. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerOA, that's DazzlerOA at Twitter and Instagram.
2: And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah, that's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience just like the community service mutants did in space from that brood attack
1: right and that was awesome and another thing that's awesome is we have an awesome special guest with us today dion introduce yourself to everybody hi
3: i'm dion and you can find me on twitter and instagram at dion underscore says at dion underscore s a y s and i hope to survive this experience
2: you will
3: you will you <laughs> will we promise
2: <laughs> i <laughs> i need to convince nico to let me have a soundboard because i would insert the applause insert applause
1: Uh, Yeah, totally. Oh my god, right? That would be like perfection. We need that so much. Uh, So Dion, this is your first time with us. So you have joined us on some of our Twitter spaces. So thank you for doing that. And it's been a joy just over the past few weeks getting to know you a little bit on Twitter. Like, Tell me a little bit about yourself. Who's your favorite character
2: or characters? Or
1: characters.
3: <laughs> I think it's like so everyone has like their, the generational teams that they kind of grew up with and they connected with. For me, it was New Mutants, and so my first book that I bought using my own like money was uh, New Mutants seventy nine, where they're stuck in the uh, caves underneath Asgard. It had the Boom Boom on the cover, and from the from the get go, I'm like, oh. Who is this woman? And I loved her immediately. And for that one issue, I hated raining immediately. And so it kind of dictated everything about... (laughs) my X-Men fandom and X-Men journey from that point forward. And so, yeah, um was my bag. And initially, I may have liked Rob Liefeld. I'm not scared to admit it. I mean, it was really good when it was being inked by what Bob Wycheck. It was fantastic. But yeah. nonetheless, I fell in love with the X-Force, X-Force era. The road trip era is probably one of my favorite things on the planet. And from there, I went to Generation X. But
4: then I, I admit
3: that somewhere around Decimation, I just stopped reading X-Men and I came back with his Hickman era. So it's it's been quite the journey. Yeah, Decimation did
1: that to a lot of people i i got that age around morrison's run where i was like i guess i'm not gonna follow it all the time so i kind of like went in and out and in and out and when decimation came around i was kind of like what what, why i was like danny moonstar doesn't have her powers anymore what the fuck are you guys doing guys like but yeah and then right before the Colors came back with... Uh, right when A-Force, that's when I personally came back in. Oh, okay. And I know a lot of people came back in around Hoxpox era. So, like, we're getting a lot of us older, longtime fans coming back in. And it's really cool to interact, especially with, like, the Jonas, who are, like, seeing some of the stuff for the first time. But I know you said you, like, really love Boom Boom. And I know yeah. somebody else who really loves Boom Boom, too.
2: Tabitha Smith is... My, oh, she is my everything. So I I tend to, like, I I rank everybody, and whatever this says about me, my top three female X-Men are In Order, Emma Frost, Magic, and then Boom Boom. So I tend to like messy white blonde women. (laughs) And... I really fell in love with Tabitha in Next Wave Agents of Hate because she very much represented a parody of what an entitled person looks like, where she Mm. didn't really care about anything, and she was, like, constantly on her phone, constantly making fun of herself. I quote this all the time. My singular favorite line from any comic ever is, don't quote math at me. You know I grew up in a trailer park. (laughs) It's... Tabitha is just a character that I think is so cool because she represents so many different things, I think, for a lot of different people. And she's a character that I nothing ever really goes right for her. And she's just very it's very much that gay experience of you see this tragic woman go through these like different tragic events and nothing ever goes right and you like latch on. And, like that's yeah. how I feel about Tabitha.
3: No, absolutely. Every single iteration of hers, even when she was meltdown with a cool buzz cut, I'm like, ugh. And she, like, took down the blob single-handedly. I'm like, okay. I mean, how could you not love this woman? And then she drinks excessively. I drink excessively.
1: Match made in heaven.
3: (laughs) It really is. And so when Rain was, like, trying to get in between her and Richter in those initial uh, New Mutants books, I immediately, again, disliked Rain. (laughs) And I kind of just fell in love with Richter and Boobum at the same time. And then Richter being one of the few uh, Latin a superheroes out there, it was like, of course, me being Mexican. I'm like, oh, geez. I, I didn't even know Richter was Mexican until Fabian started. Uh, Fabian Nieves came back and started having to speak Spanish. I'm like, oh, I had no clue because I never picked up the initial X Factor issues where he debuted. So I had no clue that he was Mexican. So what is it with Latinos and vibrational powers? Because over vibe in the uh, Justice League also had vibrational powers, and he's also gay. I'm like, oh, what's what's that about?
1: Hmm yeah it's very like like, to, like I don't know.
2: Why there do are no that? new ideas,
5: <laughs> 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 and that is
2: take that as for what you will. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just yeah. <laughs> nobody is as creative as they actually think they are. Well, well,
1: look at look at Deadpool, right? I mean, Deadpool started as an obvious parody of Death Strike because, like, you know, you had Slade Wilson and Wade Wilson, and you know, similar costumes. Really similar costumes, yeah. similar. They were both. Marks, they were both a little like mouthy, so they've both diverged greatly from that point. But you know, Deadpool was a very obvious homage to Death Strike at the time when he was created, and he's grown feet since then, so like, yay. <laughs> All right. So today we are here to talk about the amazing New Mutants 21. New Mutants 21 is brought to us by the wonderful Marvel Corporation and Vida Ayala. They did the amazing writing on this. Rob Reyes is the artist. Letterer is VCs Travis Lanham with Joe Kamanya, And then you still got Tumblr on overall design. Martin Simmons is the cover artist. So in covering this issue. So since you're new with us, Dion, you got to tell me, how have you been enjoying Vida Ayala's run so far on
3: New Muse? So here's the thing that the overall theme with this particular book is that uh, you have you're basically a cape book where you have folks doing amazing feats of strength. And even as a kid or as a grown up, you're like, oh, that's amazing. We just saved the folks from this building or they just saved the universe. And it's a bit aspirational. And with what New Mutants does is that it presents human interaction the way we should be interacting with another as an aspirational moment as well as completely achievable. It presents these folks who are like, know how to care for each other and create safe spaces for one another in a way that perhaps I don't know how to do quite yet. And so I think Vita's heroes, in it all, teaches how to be better people, and I, I hate to sound so corny and so like mushy, but there's a softness to how they approach each single character, and it's something that I think is really commendable. And I freaking, I freaking love books. It's just so warm and caring and so thoughtful, and how it faces all these characters. And it's difficult. It's not an easy thing to do, considering you have teenagers and children, and teenagers and children are not easy characters to write or even deal with on a daily basis. <laughs> but otherwise, I think it's uh, I think it's a fantastic book, and I think they've been doing this
2: fantastic job on
1: this. And Jonah overall how have you been enjoying the Vida Ayala New Mutants run?
2: So when we, we got into the Dawn of X of all these different titles that were coming out, New Mutants represented this book about these about the original New Mutants plus Mondo and Jonah and they were like well we're kind of not really the New Mutants anymore. We're not really teens anymore we're kind of adults in this situation. They're thrusted upon this new world and this new identity of being on koa and what that means in this whole new environment and you also have Sam uh, who's was off in space married to a smasher <laughs> having a baby and a lot of there was a lot of this shift of identity for them of what well, how do we react how do what how do we see this world and then when vita took over the title i think we still had those exact same themes we're getting the main characters that i think really kind of deserve their voices being heard i think specifically specifically martha who was you know changed to be no girl but my first x-men run ever was by grant morrison so i originally knew martha and no Girl as two separate characters, but them being the same character is completely fine. You have Cosmar, you have Annalie, you have Gabby, and you have Rainboy, and you have these characters who can represent this idea of, I'm not being hurt. I, I don't feel comfortable in my skin. I don't understand what's going on. This is way too new for me. And these themselves are kind of our new mutants, even though Annaly and Martha and Gabby have been around. I, I assume Rainboy's been around a little bit, but they've been around much longer than some of these other characters like Cosmar, who was introduced in New Mutants, So these overall themes of identity over not being listened to, these questions of this new environment you're in, I think have continued to be carried over. And I really enjoy the way that Vita is telling these stories and is telling these characters, because these are characters that I think deserve to have their voices heard and not be made as a joke. Martha was literally tortured to only be a brain, and nobody's thinking like, hey, we should give her her body back. It's just one of those things that I really enjoy the question Questions and themes that Vita is pointing out to be like, "Hey, some of these characters deserve justice."
1: Poor Martha, she's so sad and lonely because she ain't got nobody. But she like... ain't got no
2: Ernst.
5: <laughs> oh, oh. Poor Ernst. and that's like—we're
3: kind of really... Oh, Sorry. yeah, it's a great question that Vita asked her regarding Martha in particular because she's Martha's been around for what twenty-five years, twenty twenty years, and 20 not years once, about, yeah. yeah, not once did I think, oh. They should probably give her body back. Not once, until the question was asked a few years back. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fucked up. Why haven't we given her body back whatsoever? Especially now, it's, during this Kirkhoven age, which it's completely doable. Her anger is justified. And it was just really great to see. And it was, I love those questions that are being asked that I didn't think about before. Uh,
1: one of the things that I do love about. <laughs> this book and this run overall is its strong emphasis on the found family especially between the og new mutants um rain has sort of been separated this from her attachment with the shadow king right now but we've seen a reconciliation of sorts in this issue do you think that rain is going to be let off the hook too easy for this do you think that the others realized that rain was just in a vulnerable state and she was easy to be manipulated and that's how the whole process started where are we at with that whole reconciliation between especially Shian and Danny and Yana and Ray?
2: Something I'm thinking about is, especially in this, in Marvel Mutantum, and there are so many people with a variation of psychic powers. Like, there are so many telepaths, telekinesis people, people who can read your mind, or who can uh, (laughs) control your mind, who can enter your mind. There there are a lot of different variations of psychics, and especially in Marvel, and there's so many of them. It's one of those things where if your body is used as the weapon, and you where the conduit in which somebody is carrying out a crime and you have no control over your body, is it fair to punish the person who had no control? Granted, is it possible that Rain is lying and that she was just lashing out? It is possible, but you would need a psychic to be able to tell you that. If it can be psychically proven that Rain had no actual control over her actions, there's no reason for Rain to be punished. However, even if there was like a little bit of Rain leaning into it, and I think Rain is going through this really tough period where she doesn't know what to do about her son, there's just a lot of this grief and anger and sadness, especially when the people that she trusts the most, Danny and Sean, aren't there for her in the way that she wants them to be there for her, even though she's not communicating that, beside the point. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I I think there should be definitely I think Rain needs help and I think instead of punishing her I think they should look into what can we do to help Rain. There's not I I don't know the answer cuz I'm not I'm not really familiar with Tyr, I'm not really familiar with the stories about her son, so I'm not f- fully convinced, but I say like if she technically wants another werewolf baby, she could just go have fun with werewolf by night. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that could be the option.
1: (laughs) Personally, I loved how they used this to... Not necessarily absolve rain of everything, but how they used it to give us a deeper look into what rain is going through and rain's psyche. I think that Vito was able to definitely craft the situation so that even though there are a lot of people who are very anti rain, and I'm definitely one of those, I'm able to see. that Rain is going through a really tough spot, and you know, when you're going through tough spot, sometimes you don't make the best initial decision. Now, after that initial decision, we can't really... I don't think it's fair to blame Rain for the sequence of events, especially in the frame of mind that she was in.
3: Yeah, no, I think you have to give Rain uh, some grace here, and I think that's where we're leading. I think that's what Vita does. I think that we are going to lead to a reconciliation. I don't think that Rain was in control of her body. I am still not convinced with the Shadow King, if I can be honest. I don't think it's Tran. There's some parallels being drawn between karma and Amul, where you have a being trapped inside your own body wanting to be free. And so now we have Tran who's essentially free but nowhere to be seen. And there is this one previous in the previous issue, uh when Sean decides to have a conversation with Rain, Rain fights back. so you should be taking care of your brother and make sure he doesn't get into any kind of trouble. And so, I'm um, a firm believer of second chances, especially in the Croix era. And so, I just hope for the best for Umbrakaruk. And so, that's why I'm hoping it, it isn't the Shadow King. And I hope it's it's. I really do hope it's someone else. But nonetheless, um, back to Rain. I, I hope I hope she gets some grace. I hope she finally gets a, a redeemed storyline, and I hope someone takes care of her because she has been um, giving shitty storylines for the past thirty years or so. And despite the fact that she's not my favorite. I do want her to be happy on this island because everyone else seems to be as well.
1: Oh, that's a really good point you made. So you think that that conversation that Rain and Cheyenne had where Rain was like, hey, you need to like what's going on with your brother? Maybe that was a hint that her brother was actually controlling Rain a little bit. Wow. I kind of I dig it. And it's with definitely within his power set to do that. And even more so to suppress her memories a lot more of the event. Because the Shadow King usually likes to relish in letting people remember exactly what they did. So that's, wow, that might actually be a really good theory. I like that.
5: Because
3: ultimately, Farouk is trying to discover who he is without the Shadow King. Because he's been such a huge presence, right? Their their identities are intertwined. But once on, on Krakoa, a, a move for, uh, Farouk uh, admits I don't feel him he's not as strong anymore in one of the first few issues uh, it took over and so he's trying to figure out well who am I but once you've been in a damaging relationship for so long but again I'm just also trying to extend some grace towards Farouk as well and hoping that it doesn't turn out that he's the big bad and there's something a bit more understanding being taken care uh, being understanding uh, and grace sense his way and that he fits within the Kakoan age in a way that finally gives him some like, value
1: oh I love that I know I love that because I, I think Farouk is Is a character that, if done right and given the space to separate from the Shadow King, could and maybe does deserve a good redemption arc. And I know that if you listen to Josh speak about what a good redemption for Farouk would mean for him and just people of the Muslim community to have, you know, one of the biggest baddest characters in X books be one of the few, uh, you know, notable Muslim characters was obviously not a good look for them, and to see that redemption would be a really really nice thing to see so kind of I'm kind of hoping you're right I'm hoping that it that Tran is <laughs> the enemy now like yes I think it. and and I could I could see Vita pulling something that nuanced out because there are some clues that you just pointed out that are actually there in this that it could be somebody else besides Farouk and that last splash page at the end could just be a nice misdirect kind of thing like haha they think I did it come and get me kids <laughs> talking about the relationships between the OG New Mutants. You know, where do both of y'all stand on the relationship between Danny and Shan, especially how it's been presented in the last few issues? To me personally, I think it's been. In that first arc that Vita had, they showed them as almost, as not almost, they showed them almost entirely as more than friends. They were like really like soulmates. And ever since the Hellfire Gala, that has been drawn back a little. Do you think that was things that we read into the situation or, you know, are they going to be the ultimate? Are they, are they, aren't they?
3: I'm all about women like playing with each other's coin purses all the time.
1: Definitely agree. And
3: so... I don't think we're reading too much into it. I think it's pretty textual, especially during the Hellfire Gala, where we are trying to disrobe Warpath, and Sean just turns to Danny and goes, like, "If I have any trouble with this dress, I hope he help me with this as well." I'm like, "Okay, it's totally there." They have this really—they have this relationship that is so deep, right, and so connected. I'm hoping it happens. I hope that's the reveal, and I hope it's just been a gradual process. And I'm okay if it continues for a couple more issues because I'm really just loving the interplay between the two women, especially now that trans is no longer part of the equation. I think Sean is a bit more free to explore everything about her. But yeah, no, I. I support the Danny Sean union and I hope it happens on on page soon.
1: I hope so too <laughs>
2: so i am someone that i never saw it so much as romantic and that's might be that's just my interpretation of it but i do want to make i do would love to use this very specific amount of time to talk about the difference between queer coding and queer baiting queer coding is something that when media whatever whatever art the artist or creator is trying to do is they might not have permission to show a character as potentially queer they might not be able to explicitly state it but they want to still be able to show it for that reason so of representation. You look at Mystique and Destiny, where they were shown in very domestic settings, and they very much looked like they were a married couple, but they weren't allowed to be a married couple for a while. I look at recently, also written by Vita, Gwen Stacy's solo issue from the Heroes Reborn series that just came out, where Gwen Stacy and Misty Knight were shown kind of dating and wasn't explicitly stated, and it's very possible that they just were really close. But, you know, sometimes there is something to be said about showing two characters acting in a relationship way. I I don't have a preference either way, but I am always supportive of showing platonic relationships as closer because there are people that are that close with their friends. There are people whose boundaries aren't as strict and there's nothing wrong with having stricter boundaries. It's more about showing that representation that it is okay to be close with your friends. It is okay to hold your friends' hands or cuddle them. It is okay to help your friends get dressed or talk about dating and all these different things and show that level of closeness and intimacy without it explicitly being romantic. I don't think there's anything wrong with leading into. To it, especially because that's what we're always taught to believe of levels of intimacy show romantic interest but that's always different for different people's experiences some people might read it into as romantic some people might not some people are okay with different levels of intimacy and everything is valid so i'm of the mindset if they do end up together and it is this little bit more of a slow burn of waiting for permission waiting for the right time to be able to say it i'm all for it but i'm also all for it for them being really close in terms of friendship and relying on each other because that's something i love i love seeing two women be able to rely on each each other love seeing two men be able to rely on each other love love seeing men and women relying on each other as well as all other genders but it's something to be shown about you can show platonicness and not always have it have to end up as rules
1: okay i love that i love that because i think that some of us are a little too rigid in that like no they they're holding hands or they're they're kind of like cuddling up against each other they really cross that line they're lovers now when there's when it doesn't have to be that close of that much of a line they obviously care deeply for each other so it doesn't it doesn't have to be something that is even romantic it could be like a really strong platonic love and I love I love the idea now of them being just like a really supportive friend network and one thing I would want to make sure is like I would never want to or try to accuse Vita of queer baiting because I think oh, queer no. baiting is definitely not something a queer content creator would do to the queer masses I think the queer coding definitely they might have thrown in and it might have have even been unintentional on their part because that's just the way they see things and they see relationships and they see people but yeah i would never i would never want to go out there and say i think that vita they're queer baiting us with this because i don't think that would be fair for uh, you know uh, us to try to say that, that a queer content creator is queer baiting
2: people yes and queer baiting very specifically is when a creator understands what they're doing and continuously makes it a will they won't they and stringing people along to believe that this relationship is possible that's definitely not my opinion, definitely not what I'm seeing here. But, you know, I think there's a lot of conflation on what we see queer coding as and now what we see as queer baiting.
1: So, we have this field trip, and I love that Warpath is the leader of all these field trips, it seems like now. So we have this field trip to the blue area of the moon and the Summer's house where Warpath is taking our newest of the new mutant kids, you know, just check things out. And they run into some Errand Brood. Now, this sort of break of this sect of the brood from Brew's command is a little disturbing. It's a little frightening. It's a little scary. Where are we at with this whole brood little side storyline? Do we think it's gonna be something that's gonna come up more in the future too?
3: I love these little side storylines because it kind of takes a, gives us a break from like the heavy emotionality of what's going on with Rain and Gabby. And so we have something that's fantastical and fun but also dangerous and it's like you know comic book and I say that in air quotes once Brew finally shows up and kind of defuses the situation then Warpath literally sees Red once a Monica I believe is hurt and then it all changes for everyone and he's angry and especially angry at Brew for not, for letting this transpire and he kind of sees through Brew's I think both lies you know in a little bit like he's trying to cover for himself as to why he's lost control over this particular set because the Brew Brew, uh, Brew general for me is one of the, uh, it, it's scary as hell that we have them here picking up a plot thread from X Men 8 or 9. So I'm happy to see them and happy to see them as be a legitimate threat to these kids and to warp out themselves. And so it was a great little break for me from the rest of the, the Kakoen storyline.
2: I am someone that I love if when an, one thread is put down by another writer, I love it being picked up. It's something that I really did appreciate about Children of the Atom, also written by Vita, where Vita used horticulture. The Golden Girls, the bitter old lady brigade. It's something where Oh, it's
1: part of me. I'm part of that team. <laughs> Same.
2: I am bitter than um, an old lady. Ain't that just the vibe? I like <laughs> when other writers are being able to draw upon the other things because it helps connect the world and especially within the X titles there are so many I really like when you can there someone's like okay someone brought this up let's see if I I can pick this up somewhere and bring it somewhere because one of my slight problems with a couple of mostly just like the X-Men title before it became what it is right now it was throwing a lot and whether it stuck or not didn't matter because it just moved on to something else completely by the next issue so it felt like well wait well what do you mean there you have these people running around stealing your your flower dna what are you doing and it's like oh okay maybe it's just being put down for somebody else to eventually use later so i really like it i i do not know a lot about baby brew but i do know that this is nico's everything and so (laughs) (laughs) i know if something bad happens to the characterization of baby brew nico (laughs) will be upset so i'm of the mindset hey let's see where we can go with the and i'd th- rather it be about baby brew having a little too much confidence not knowing mm. how much he can handle as opposed to him having something nefarious going on i i do agree that it did seem like there were some lies and he wasn't telling the full truth i do think that he's more yeah. nervous about that as opposed to trying to usurp Krakoa. i really hope
5: yeah no, <laughs> because he's, he's yeah. like
2: a really cool character and i also do like the addedness of the brew because the brood have been terrorizing the x-men for years upon years They terrorized the original new mutants when, oh the very problematic scenes of Xavier being mind controlled by a brew and putting his (gasps) new mutants in very specifically Danny in a situation where when she was 14, should not have been in that situation. And sometimes you're like, is this, is the brew taking over? Is this Xavier? (laughs) These are a larger galactic enemy that the X-Men have fought for eons. Well, not really eons, but for a (laughs) while. And they shouldn't really ever go away because they are really, they are like really dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's also where I got the, uh, You stay. I love it. (laughs) Because we love the Akanti. Storm is queen of the Akanti. It it makes sense why Storm is queen regent of space. (laughs) She can control space wins. End of my soapbox.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jonah's like, oh, wait, hold on. This is now the wise uh, storm should be there. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah, the brood are definitely one of like the more terrifying sci-fi, not even just comic villains, just like sci-fi overall villains. Like just the fact that they can implant themselves and take over your body and your persona is just terrifying. Just like the idea of being transformed from inside out from human form into the brood form. It's just there's so many terrifying things. I think they're kind of like the Borg in Star Trek 2 where you don't want to overuse them because when you overuse them, they become a little less terrifying every time you do. But when you have them show up just right, they're just like the most terrifying sort of villain alien out there. I do love them being a little more under Brew's control and Brew is the most precious baby and like nothing better happened to Brew. Also too, like another weird thought that popped in my mind about writers picking up other threads. It's amazing when they do that. In the most current Avengers issue right now, uh, Blade goes to uh, Chernobyl and Yolka just rampaged and killed a lot of the uh, vampires that were there. Blade's over there just finishing them off like, sh- 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 and I'm like, oh my god, that's from Wolverine. Like, everything's connected. It's one universe again. So, I always love it when they do those little knots. It helps you realize that everything is in a connected universe and that everything is going to affect something else in that universe somehow or some way. It To me, though, it was a shame that we didn't get to see Jimmy's short shorts in this issue because I was like, "God
2: damn it!" Like the 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 quota was almost there. (laughs) Listen, Warpath's correct short length is about a two inch seam, (laughs) (laughs) and preferably no shirt. Okay, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. That is that is supposed that is the personal headcanning quota. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's okay they didn't meet that because he would get cold in space and we don't we don't need him cold. Sure. that's
1: what this but yeah i guess i guess i was like that's what the spacesuit's for but then i guess if you have the spacesuit over it then you're not seeing. maybe he's got the short shorts on underneath anyway and we just can't see it because of the spacesuit uh okay now it's a perfect issue all right <laughs> so <laughs> This brings us to probably the most important point so far in Vita's new mutant series and one of the more important issues going on in Prokoa right now with the fives breach of protocol and resurrection of Gabby. So this is was a real important issue for me because everybody's I I know I was like, if you do not bring Gabby back, I'm gonna be so pissed off. Like, like Scout, I can't call her Scout. Honey Badger is like the best. Like uh, you can't like keep her dead and i'm so glad that no girl is not in her head anymore <laughs> like we end up earning her what did the both of you guys think about this resurrection what do you think that the implications are that the five are starting to stand their ground more especially in resurrections and resurrections of dupes like where are you guys at with all of this
3: so well i'm happy to see like the five have a bit more agency you know, what they're doing I found the resolution to be simple and I just didn't think it had enough weight. It's like, oh, we didn't even think about it. We'll just address it. We'll write a letter and we'll go on from there, resurrect, scout, madeline to apocalypse. And and it's great, but it felt like such an easy resolution and it felt, I felt a little bit emotionally cheated. Makes sense.
1: Okay. I agree. It was a simple resolution. I'm kind of glad it didn't drag on but it was a important cultural thing that they had to address and, and oh, you're sure. right maybe it was done too quickly and like there should have been a lot more like fanfare to it so I, I get that. That's fair on that. That's very fair that it was done too quickly.
2: I, I'm trying to find out who originally tweeted this and I'm so sorry that I'm talking about your idea and I can't credit you but someone brought up a really good point especially with this issue. After the events of the Children of the Vault when laura sink and darwin went into the vault laura was resurrected without a problem laura is a clone and it brought up, brings up the question is it fine that they have information and they bring something vital to the table like wolverine and it's like huh there really was no banging pots and pans about that it was just fine so it, it's a question that i think definitely needed to be brought up definitely need to be challenged in the universe by the characters of hey is this actually fair these are their own individual people even if they share. The same DNA strands, and at that point, would you call a twin a clone? like No. Like, if if one of the, the North Star twins die, like North Star twins, if
4: Aurora, <laughs> or North Star die,
2: one of them dies. Are you going to say no? You can't resurrect them, even though one of them did die and they were resurrected. That's not what I'm talking about. But like, it's it's a it's a fine line argument that. I, I wish there was a little more fanfare in terms of conversation. It kind of just felt like the five immediately went along with it. I really wish there was, at least we got to see more of the perspective from them of their thoughts on it as opposed to ha- it happening off panel. There might not have just been room or time, but I really would have loved like somebody like, even if it's like one issue of some book, just following the five and like having them, the seed be planted of them challenging this idea.
1: It would be really cool to see that. One so, Laura is kind of confusing. So, Laura originally was introduced to us as a clone of Wolverine. Unfortunately, through some current retcons, she is now the daughter of Wolverine through the lady who raised Laura. So, like, Laura is really a confusing mess. And, like,
2: I just <laughs> assumed it was because Wolverine calls all of his clone children his children. It's <laughs> like Gabby's his daughter. And, like, Gab- Gab- Right. <laughs> so, like, yeah, all of them are his children. Yeah. No,
1: but yeah, Laura is really. Really, really one of those comic book things is really hard to keep track of because it's like Squirgle, oh she's a mutant. And then like randomly, like without any fanfare, they're like, Oh, she's not really a mutant, but we're not gonna make any big deal of it. So like if you didn't happen to catch that one little part of it like there was no real big deal made about it so it's ah, comics is full of that so (laughs) it does bring some implications into like strife so then you know or joseph why is nobody advocating for those two to be brought back what does the five do when they realize that there are no precogs in the resurrection queue so are they going to take their own agency and do that because to them there would be no real reason not to and for them to reveal you know like hey moira mctaggart then you'd have kevin and going like my mommy's alive what like
2: <laughs> i love your i love your, your impression he's <laughs> <laughs> like
1: oh my me mom me mom i'm so sorry about there for my that was sorry it. to our
2: scottish community yes
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i only learned how scottish people speak from star trek and i know that is not very accurate so but it, it brings into so many questions just them going off script and i'm glad that they did and i really i need to see more of it i need to see more
2: it it is all something to be said we did not bring in you know another book again but in way of x we saw whether he is under the influence of onslaught or not charles is very comfortable choosing when somebody does get resurrected with the death of fabian cortez though it doesn't really need to be resurrected (laughs) Uh, (laughs) no (laughs) Charles was like, nah, We can put. he can be at the bottom of the barrel of who the, when they're getting through them. So it, it the council is very comfortable choosing who and when they are going to resurrect, so it's something that I do hope it's another thing that the five is like, hey, why are we doing it in this order? Why, why do we get to choose who gets to be resurrected first or not?
3: I think it was kind of addressed in like issue 14 to 15, where it's like, we're not going to resurrect anybody who's a clone that actively does harm. So speaking in particular of, of Madeline Pryor, which is why they kind of like told Gabby, of course you can be resurrected. You have no problem. Granted, it wasn't the most. Uh, it didn't really assure her, obviously. But I thought it was just kind of answered from the very get go. And I hate to have like upset any prior stands, but if we are going to uh, resurrect Madeline Pryor, are we going to ask Gene? I was like, Are you okay with this person being resurrected, uh, made from your DNA without your consent?
1: Yeah, that's a that is a tough question because you're right. It, it is a violation of Gene, but then at the same time. It wasn't Madeline Pryor who asked to be created in the first place. It is Evil Daddy Sinister that, like, just caused all of this. And, you know, it's it's such a complex issue because the fact that she was created against her will and even if Jean doesn't want her to be resurrected, does that negate Madeline's personhood? Do you think that the Five's independence is going to lead to some of the causes or problems in Inferno? Because as we are reminded in the checklist in the back, Inferno starts in only a few issues. So we are one, two, three. We're like five, six issues away from the start of Inferno.
2: Ooh. I hope it gets very messy. <laughs> the five rebels. Because, like, what if the five is, like, we're going on strike and we're not going to resurrect anybody else. Like, what are they going to do? You can't force them to resurrect people, and you need those five specifically to do it. Oh, you yeah. probably you can probably get a couple of others. Like, maybe instead of Proteus, you can technically get Jaime, but Jaime probably wouldn't do this because Jaime's too busy being the king of Avalon. And <laughs> like, you have to probably give Jaime three capes One clone of a sibling to like do whatever he wants to, not in a bad way, but like if he wanted to turn him into a rat, he could.
1: (laughs) Okay,
3: okay.
2: In that sense, um, and a big pony and a big pony. Uh, uh, little Sebastian. I think (laughs) I think those are those are about as like uh, uh, that's like one of the only people you can technically replace. I guess technically you could replace Hope with Fabi Cortez, but he's dead, so it doesn't matter.
1: Well, but we saw in this issue that Hope can use the Cerebral Helmet to implant, so you couldn't do that. Like, I was like, holy shit, Hope's just out there, like, completing the whole circuit herself. I believe
2: in the Hope Helmet supremacy. Yes. (laughs) I am hoping for the five to really stand up for themselves, especially during Inferno and... Maybe they maybe they might decide they want to resurrect Wanda themselves.
3: Ooh. Or are they just gonna resurrect everyone? Like fuck it, we're just gonna bring everyone back. Just go chaos and just do that instead.
5: It's
3: like
1: Logan, you're in five titles, so we're gonna give you five Wolverines <laughs> <laughs> five bodies to share one mind with oh god we, are,
2: we already have th- we already have three others that someone made a great point to just name all of wolverine's kids wolverine <laughs> and then just throw in another one throw in another one
1: well no they they all have the varine but like you could be like logan is beer varine or like gabby is cute varine or like small and it's like yeah, oh, a s-m-o-l yeah like small like because she's
2: small but yeah yeah no. <laughs> i love the continuity of iliana consistently drinking krakow coffee yeah despite the fact that she knows where it comes from <laughs>
5: she does
2: listen when you grow up in limbo you don't get a lot of options <laughs> <laughs> you, learn, you learn to take what you can get
1: Vita is they're doing a rock on phenomenal job they made me like rain again somehow or at least maybe want to give her the grace like you said Dion like she needs that grace and she needs a little bit of forgiveness at some point I would really love for nobody to ever put her on the same panel like with Elixir like they did in the last issue so like let's forget that ever happened let's pretend to it did way. away I'm really excited to see what's going to go on with this whole Shadow King thing how the whole mm. piece is going to fall how it's gonna happen like and i'm really fascinated to see how rain killed gabby without leaving a mark on gabby that's just a little
3: odd but or how rain could kill gabby to begin with yeah Yeah.
2: gabby did look like she was in a catatonic state so it is interesting that rain gabby remembers it as rain and rain is like semi-confessing
1: but rain doesn't remember it so she's like oh my god she's like something happened and i didn't remember like what what could it have been sorry i Again with the bad Gotti accent, but like <laughs> oh
3: yeah, just going back to the last issue. Once No Girl went into Scout's body, her brain was still floating for a couple of panels. Like for me, that implied there was someone in there because in the, later on the, the issue when they go and in, into the Arbor Magna, I think that anoli is carrying No Brain, and so that brain again that t- that tells me oh there's no one in there. But initially there was because the brain was just kind of floating, observing what was going on. So. That, I don't... Maybe it was just a mis Another mistracket, and I'm just reading a a bit too far into it. But in my head, I want this to end in a uh, crucible with uh, Tarukum. So that way, when he dies, he's resurrected without well, the presence of the Shadow King just like it did for um, Sean.
1: Oh, I love that. I want a lot of crucibles coming out of this. I really want... No Girl's got to get her body back.
3: <laughs>
2: no Girl and yeah.
1: Cosmar,
3: number two. Yeah.
2: Yeah, those are the big two.
1: <laughs> and, and I would love... I would love to see, like... Because it's fascinating to wonder how she going to come without Tran being... <laughs> (laughs) In her persona, and I would love to see Farouk try to exist without the traces of Shadow King and the memories of what he's done, and you know that could lead to a really good, actual, real redemption arc for him. Love it. That's I'm hoping. Rock on. That's a good. That's a. That's a great final thought.
0: Hey, everybody, Nico here. Now, Last Annihilation has been kind of like a mini mega crossover because it's like been such a big deal and it's paying off so many storylines and it's cutting through so many big, major, admittedly super queer books. So we're loving it. And this one shot has been a really great opportunity to examine two of the most beloved queer characters running around Marvel, Wiccan and Hulkling, and the team has a lot of perspective on this title. I think it is said so well by Nathan when he says, you know, when these characters are sort of the flagship queer characters. There's a lot of expectations on a title like that. It leads to a lot of different opinions and I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as the team enjoyed making it.
6: Hello everyone and welcome to the next segment of X's for Podcast, where we talk about the mutants, magic and the marvels. I am Rod. You can find me at Rod, The on Twitter and Instagram. That's R-O-D-C-O-M-M-A-T-H-E
7: Hi, I'm Broadway. You can find me at b way R D on Twitter. That's B-W-A A-Y-3-R-D and next up we have Kyle
8: Hi everyone, I'm Kyle you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82 that's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2
5: and
4: I'm Dame Red Bento, uh, D-A-M-E-R-E-D B-N-T-E-O and with us today we also have Nathan.
5: Hey, it's
1: Nathan and you can find me online at Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram and like, I hope you survive this experience like basically everybody Did because it was so
3: cute.
6: It was the power of love. So that brings us to what we're talking about today, which is part second to last part of the, sec- the Last Annihilation. And it is written by Anthony Oliveira. The artist is Jan Balzadua. The colors are Rochelle Rosenberg. And the letters is by V.C.'s Ariana Mayer. Ooh, she's awesome. <laughs> she is a workaholic. We love Ariana. I think we're all fans of Wiccan and Hulkling. I mean, we all want them to get like their own book. We want to know more about them. But I do love these little shorts or solos or one-shots, I mean, that we get of them, because we get deeper into their story like we did today. So, let's see. I don't know if we, if I've personally heard what Broadway thinks of Wiccan and Hulkling. So, Broadway, what do you think of this intergalactic gay as fork couple.
7: (laughs) I'm here for it. You know, I always loved space stuff, and I love gay shit too, as you might know. And I think, I've always been familiar with the characters, but never really, like, read any of their stuff specifically, so it was actually really cool to get this really focused issue. Obviously, they were in Empire, but I feel like especially Hulkling wasn't exerting a lot of agency there, and I feel like like, this is a story where he is attempting to exert more agency and be like super cool gay space hero and i love that
6: yeah i would definitely agree i i would say empire was like the start of him being like oh i actually have to do this job uh, i guess so and then this is like him establishing being like yes okay i'm this emperor i'm gonna do it i gotta show him that i can do this and i'm like you know powerful and shit so <laughs> raven Y'all. what you you have such <laughs> yes clear... yes yeah. Me, yes, this, this sounded all Raven, I was getting there, y'all. I was getting there. What y'all I are just the
4: body in pieces, y'all, huh? Y'all
6: just rushing me, and I feel so judged. No, but Raven, Raven, we're not supposed to tell anybody about that, <laughs> Raven. You have such a great eye for detail and for the queer folks of the world. How did you feel about this little deeper dive into Wiccan and Hulkling's past?
4: Well, I I will definitely say that uh, Hulkling looks so much better when he's green. <laughs> it's so weird to see him have like a human face now. It's just like, what in the potato am I looking at? Like, no! No, make it green and slightly larger with muscles, please. <laughs> but overall, it was a little bit into that kind of trope, but I still really loved it. Like, I'm sappy that way sometimes. <laughs> Like, I'm just like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, the the jock who falls in love with the nerdy dork at the back who's just weird. Oh, okay, no, they actually, they have some, oh, they have some bonding. Okay, they love each other from across space and time. Mm. So yeah, no, I actually I really enjoyed this in a lot of different ways, and I'm glad that they made it. I thought it was supposed to be a tie-in for some reason, and when you said it was a standalone, I'm like, oh, okay.
6: Well, it is it is a tie-in to Last Annihilation, but it's like a standalone for Wiccan and Hulkling, like for just you know, it's like a one shot for them. But it's a tie-in for the
7: Last Annihilation event.
4: Oh, okay, yeah. kind of like uh, kind of like when uh, King and Black.
7: Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so King and Black that. Marauders where it's like a one-shot related mm. to the event.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah, because it, it honestly it felt like very much a uh, a standalone story in a lot of ways. Um, and I think, I honestly think that kind of helped it, because if it was super tied in, since I haven't really read the rest of Last Annihilation, I think I probably would have been super duper lost if it was very heavy or dependent on me reading the rest of that. But this, just reading it off the bat, I was like, oh, oh, this, is, oh this is good, this is fun, it tugs at the heartstrings, I really liked it, so I'm probably going to go back and find the rest of Last Annihilation and read it because of it.
6: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely suggest it. It's Because Wicked and Hulkling right now are on the Guardians of the Galaxy. And so are mm-hmm. a lot of basically all the other gay characters in the, in the space are on the Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. As well, yeah. well so, I mean, you know, yep. Peter
4: Quill, so. Right.
6: Thank you so much, oh. Al Ewing, for that. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, this is basically Guardians of the Galaxy like 2.0 Last Annihilation. You know, it's just like okay. you know because they're like, Wicked and Hulk are off doing something else while the rest of the Guardians are trying to stop their mama as well. So this is what they're doing in that whole event. So I liked it a lot. I mean, I appreciated that Anthony made a one-shot. So you didn't have to read all of The Last Annihilation if you didn't want to. You should, but you don't have to. He called back to a lot of, you know, story plots that we didn't get really expanded in Young Avengers with Wiccan and Hulkling. You know, how they met in school and all of this. You know, this expanded their story in a bigger way that, you know, you kind of just had the fans just had to guess at or just make fan fiction. So.
5: <laughs>
4: and you know fans. We will so make fan fiction. Oh,
6: definitely. Mm. (laughs) So as, you know, a white gay man yourself, Nathan, <laughs> I, I like how, you know, Raven did bring up the little stereotypical thing with, you know, you know, the jock going after the nerdy kid or just being bullied in school. But like, I mean, I did see that a lot in school. So unfortunately, stereotypes can be a real thing. I mean, obviously they're there for a reason, but did you relate to that in any kind of way, Nathan, seeing as like, you know, being a, <laughs> like thinking of like your younger gay self, did you see yourself in a story? I... Are you
4: calling him big and athletic? <laughs> no, <laughs>
6: definitely
5: not.
1: I, that aspect of it, no. I never, I never had that experience in school. My, my school was very different. Like, I, if when, if I would have gotten picked on, it was for something totally other, and I don't really want to like go into like the whole like demographics of my school but like it was like a totally different experience so that that experience I didn't have like growing up so like seeing it I'm like okay cool I can't relate to that I have some problems with the story <laughs> to be honest <laughs> do tell do tell it's it's not badly done it's just <sighs> It's and, and you know and it's something that I've been wanting for a while, like a like a pure like queer love story where they don't really have all those obstacles and all of that stuff. But it mm-hmm. it read too much like uh, a young adult novel to me like like Mm. a whole ya adventure and like you know instead of like one magical girl they're both magical girls and then like like, (laughs) he's gonna become the demiurge and he's gonna become the emperor so like is it bad no it was a little too like saccharine sweet and i i afraid that like if i read too much i was gonna like get a really bad sweet tooth again (laughs) Not bad, but it just it was a little too there was a little some of the plot points I thought were a little too convenient,
2: maybe. Mm.
1: And oh, some yeah. of the some of the like you know um, tropes exist for a reason they do they they do have basis in fact but some of the tropes were a little overplayed it's not that it was badly mm. done it's just i maybe would have wanted different choices no yeah.
5: that's respectful
4: <laughs> that's understandable
6: yeah. yeah i definitely i didn't see, like i didn't not that i didn't see it but i didn't view it in that way at first and i definitely see it more that you talked about that being more like like a cheesecake factor not being cheesecake factor <laughs> <laughs> means totally different
4: <laughs> oh <I thought laughs> be a cheesecake factor I mean, <laughs> like, I was like, wait, what? If we
1: got Hulkling in the yeah, shower, right. that would be the yeah. cheesecake thing. That, that means totally <laughs> different. But, <laughs> then
6: in, the, in the sense of the sweetness, I definitely get that. But what I feel like Anthony was probably trying to do is because he had to, like this is a one shot. Yeah. We don't, we're not getting, there's nothing that we see so far on the horizon of more we can Hulkling besides being guards. So I feel like what he was trying to do is kind of like what you were saying is like give a story with like a, you know, a queer couple that's happy, that doesn't yep. have like all these options obstacles to go through and it's like you know what we can just they can have a little past obstacles they can almost kind of die but like not really and then just be like "Ooh, happiness they're a power couple yeah because i feel like other than maybe Faye rail i think that's how you say her name and moon dragon what other like really powerful gay couples do we have where they're both really powerful
8: uh you marple know? boy and hercules
6: that's true okay i mean not, <laughs> not, not they, were, in, they were literally <laughs> in the
8: book.
4: that's true not in <laughs> yeah. this
6: book
1: besides okay. this book like a little, little this-
4: cocker Oh, yeah, <laughs> like,
1: no. step on me daddy what the <laughs> I, do f- up. Up. I do also have some problems with hercules
6: in this issue <laughs> like... i no, i like i <laughs> actually found that kind of endearing him calling him a cockroach. no no that's cute but it okay.
1: just was like awesome i love the relationship they have but hercules lost all of his oh like i'm tough beat him up god guy and he's just like a Ooh, girl like Oh, like, I love you so much, babe. And then they're like, I love you too, babe. And like, yeah.
4: (laughs) Oh, come on. Love will make you soft. I think that yeah. was
6: the, the point of
1: the issue too. <laughs>
6: true, true, true. I do like Hercules' voice more in Guardians. Um, yeah, than I in agree. This book. Every writer's not going to get every character's voice correct, especially in a team book. Right. But I do like the <laughs> one thing Hercules said. He was like, "Let gravity whimper at the heath of the mighty Hercules." I was like, "That's a that's a top ten Hercules statement right there." <laughs> that was a good okay. Hercules. <laughs> Like as
7: they're falling into a chasm, like that is his response. It's very much like the Iraqi yelling at Phobos <laughs> as it's being like chopped towards <laughs> the planet, and just like ah, kill me, I dare you.
4: <laughs> it's like they're on it. Trust me. <laughs> There's a no. lot
1: I did like about this issue too. So <laughs> <sure> <laughs> <getting> <laughs> <together>. <laughs> hey, no,
6: like we, it is all good to give constructive criticism. That is fine. That like right. I feel like the things that you like more, you give more constructive criticism to because. You just want it to be perfect because you like it so
5: much. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and
1: I think it's hard because we maybe are putting maybe me is putting too much expectation on issue of these two who's such a prominent queer couple mm-hmm. to be like everything I want it to be and, and nothing can be everything you want it to be.
6: Exactly. Because it's a, and it's
4: one what side. everybody wants is a little bit different. So absolutely. But I mean, you still had you had you had some valid points in there, and oh, yeah. and like you like you very clearly pointed out, you read it one way and took it one way, and I read it a very different way and took it a very different way so yeah i mean yeah both valid points
6: yeah definitely i mean you i mean that's why i always say you know there's a book for everyone because everyone views it differently not every book is for everybody and that is definitely okay Mm -hmm. kyle how did you feel with the appearance of some of the mutants we haven't seen in a while when sword came like avalanche <laughs> I thought Rick yeah, Rick or- that was Richter.
4: <laughs> I thought
8: that was Richter. Unless I got to the point. Yeah, that was. I absolutely loved that moment. Um, <laughs> because. Because you know that people are going to, if if anybody reappears on Earth after this, and they think that Richter was the cause of that, <laughs> then they're going to go <laughs> after him. You yes. know it. You know it. Oh. Especially since since Doom is tied to this this event right now, and he's supposed to be showing up in Excalibur in the next issue.
5: That's true.
8: But. As for S.W.O.R.D., I am really getting annoyed with Brand. <laughs> mm. I, I understand what she's doing. She's trying to put the mutants in a place where the rest of the the galaxy needs their assistance. Mm-hmm. But to lie about what's actually happening, to, to kind of dance around the murder of Wanda, that... especially towards billy that was absolutely horrible on her part Mm -hmm.
6: yeah i absolutely agree i i feel like abigail brand is that character because even in the original sword one through five issues like way back when i guess not too far too not too far back whatever (laughs) way back when even in astonishing
1: when she first appeared she's always been annoying
6: yeah annoying character she's (laughs) she's she dated
1: beast for god's sake yeah
6: and beast is like the most annoying person in the world (laughs) besides like xavier like that she's the maria hill of space it's like you're not really supposed to like love her but you respect her because she's doing it you know technically for like quote unquote greater good or for the mission or whatever but you know it's also she's doing really you know shittily (laughs) And and really shifty and there's no like you she shouldn't have to Lie to Wiccan to that extent, or she could take a moment to like sit, like take him to the side and talk to him for a second, but they are facing a war against all of space so i'm like i kind of get it but then i also don't agree with it it's a it's a double-edged
7: sword i don't know and i i think you're supposed to feel that way i think like you're supposed to sit and i think that's part of what ewing is drafting here is like you're supposed to sit with the tension of like i get why she's doing that but i also feel like if you can't like i feel like how do i say this i feel like she's like trying to puppeteer everything but that only works if you're actually fully in control and no one else's decisions or feelings like if people are actual puppets and like inanimate and don't have feelings and like i feel like it's going to blow up in her face at some point and how she navigates that and how it affects other people especially people like storm and mutants that's like what i'm most worried about like it's fine if she does this and it's like uh sword is over here doing that whatever but if it's the mutant space age. And suddenly, like the Kree scroll empire hates all of mutantum. Like that's a bigger problem than her. And I'm actually excited to see how she like threads that needle.
1: I mean you do have to remember she's the one who like she's always been sneaky. She's always been underhanded. She's the one who literally somehow blackmailed Lockheed into spying on the X-Men for her. Right. Like, uh, for for like, you know, betraying Kitty Pride for a while. Kate Pride for a while. Like it's Yeah. Seriously? She's always
6: Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She she's not she's not made the great the greatest choices in terms of morals. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 But I unless she has a contingency plan, I think this is gonna bite her in the ass. And they that brings up a good point being like Storm and a region of soul and all of that. They, if the galaxy or part of the galaxy is, you know, coming for the mutants because of her lies, they're going to have to use her as like a scapegoat or just bring her be like, Hey, well, she did this without us knowing. They're not have to give her up. Like she's not gonna be able to stay in that position of power unless she has like some kind of contingency plan that gets her out of
1: that. Would that have been the time to tell, like in the middle of a battle? Would that have been the time to tell him that, like, his mom died? Like, no, no, like, no. like, he no. would have just like disappeared and gone to Krakoa and like probably raised some hell there and like left the battle. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. He is, he is, he is a Maximoff after all, right? Yeah. So,
5: and,
6: well, <laughs> and that's that's what she brings up. She's like, li- she literally is like, you know, but a reality warper like you with your family's temper, I wouldn't want you to get upset when you find out. Yep. <laughs> and, and that's why right. he's like, what the heck does that mean? It's like, well. You know, <laughs> you could be like, no more space. <laughs> so, right. so, Kyle, I also want yeah. to ask since I did ask, you know, white Nathan, I want to ask <laughs> you also, you know, <laughs> since you're also a white man. <sighs>
8: <laughs>
5: did you,
6: how did you feel? Did you see yourself in the story? Did you connect with this?
8: My school wasn't really like that. I had bullies, but not like what Wiccan had, not like jock versus nerd type of bullies. It was just like jerk kids mm. and me. <laughs> so <laughs> so I mean, I kind of connected with, with Wiccan that way mm-hmm. by him being bullied and him standing. Up to as bullied, but not in that particular situation. Mm.
6: I'm like, is is being bull? Is because I was bullied
8: <laughs> in school oh.
6: for being like, no, I didn't even know I was gay yet, but they said it. I'm like, maybe it's a uh, south. It's not the best, right? right. <laughs> everybody else knows everybody it. Everybody knows, you but you. Everybody, everybody knows but me, and apparently the 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 jockey dudes knew before me. Why? How did they know? Why did they know? Let's that's, that's, <laughs> They're that's all going kind of gay too, going at, right? <laughs> going
5: hey, look, they're
7: only looking
4: at that gay porn for research reasons, right? Yeah, they're just only
7: each other's butts in the locker room for, like, friendship or something.
6: I'm like, maybe it's a south thing. I know y'all, are, y'all are in the north, so I'm like, maybe it's just, like, a more south thing. I don't know. No? Okay, I'm not alone. Yay. <laughs> Raven knows.
4: (laughs) Oh, oh, trust me. There were some gay kids at my school, but like we were uh, like a super small contingency, and most of us stayed pretty well hidden. But like there was two that just lived straight out loud, and I loved them for it because holy crap, they were powerful as hell. But then we had one kid who was just so gay, and literally (laughs) everybody knew it. But I don't. I hopefully not. many people picked on them for it cuz they were just they were a nice person and uh, but yeah like literally if he, if they had ever just gone i'm gay i think like 90% of us would have gone no shit <laughs> like- <laughs>
6: And I, I feel like that's what's so special about this story. Like you get you get uh, Hercules and Marvel Boy. They're both you know living proud in their bisexuality. You know being with each other. You get Wiccan and Hulkling. You know loving up on each other. Like you you out, out and proudly. You know like it's not it's not like innuendoed. It's not like well maybe they're together. We don't know. Like right? no, it's there. It's for blatant.
5: Both
8: it's blatant. Yeah. It's,
6: it's
1: and blatant. even though you don't see Heather Douglas, you like she's like Phil
6: Bell's, like my wife. My wife.
5: Mm-hmm. White,
6: right. yeah, and
8: I'm like, that's—it's
6: it. so great to see because you like even ten years ago we didn't—we got some of that, but not
7: as blatant. Yeah, know. we got five and- queer characters in one story, and. Right. two of them are at the center of it and like two others are in a couple and like i don't know there's something actually like it's it's done so fluidly uh-huh. but like it really is cool and also the fact that it's like Hulkling's sister is queer it's like yay everybody <laughs> deserves a queer sibling every queer person deserves yeah. a queer sibling mm-hmm.
8: i think I that's know. i think that's why i i'm glad that you convinced me to to read uh, guardians Rod. Not... <laughs>
6: I, you know, I.
8: I needed to read that story, so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Unambiguously,
1: the queerest book that there is it's on the market, right? You yeah. It's wonderful. It is
7: from Marvel. And it's visually stunning. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. I was never like a I like the movies, but I was never a Guardians like person. And Mm -hmm. I have fallen absolutely in love with this series. And I think that it it is so like quirky, like it's it's queer in like a capital Q right Q way. (laughs) Oh yeah, I can't spell.
4: (laughs) But it's like queer queer capital K. What?
7: Yeah, yeah. K W queer. What is (laughs) queer? But like I don't know because it's like it's not just like oh there's like gays afoot it's like it's quirky it's funny the art is really out there at times like it does have this like deep queerness that like it's kind of hard to as i'm failing to right now like describe in some ways
6: well see i think the reason why you can't really describe it because it's not made to seem like a strange force in the book yeah, yeah. it's, made, it's yeah. just like it's just part of their being just like it is with all the straight characters when a, a character is heterosexual in a book it isn't pointed out every second that they're heterosexual. It's just that they're heterosexual. It's just who they are, and that's who they are as the queer characters. They're just they're just queer. They're just like yeah. all the other characters. That's just them, and that's how they're being written now. Instead of being like, oh, I have to remind you that I'm queer in an innuendo every panel. We don't have to have that anymore, and I think that's you know great to see because that's hard to relate to when they're like a gay you know pun every panel. It's like okay, we get it.
4: Wait, yeah. Handfuls theme, of to the being top man. (laughs) yeah
6: i'm like be a person don't be a
7: no (laughs) but also like at the same time like i know a lot of gays and like Looking for top men does sound something. It sounds like something a lot of gays would say. Like, yeah, gays no, are
3: I'm corny, like Bobby Drake. <laughs> oh, <Yeah. yeah>. like,
7: <laughs> gays are corny as fuck. No, I mean, look at look at Twitter. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a, in a, in a
6: corny ass shit that's on there. Uh, I, know I mean, uh,
4: twerking, putting up thirst traps and shit. Like, I want to see that on my timeline. No, I mean, really, let me restate that. I want to see that on my timeline. But like, I'm twerking, twerking well. Post-mort. Twerking
7: well, not like the like yeah some, yeah some people know
4: uh, yeah, i'm, ve- I'm very guilty else, that's of that. comedy fodder so <laughs> <laughs>
7: yeah i say this fully acknowledging that i am one of those corny queer men like i own that 100 percent. oh, oh yeah, I'm honey too. i'm, I'm like still trying to count. figure out
4: how to do the lesbian thirst trap because i really <laughs> really want to put out some good lesbian thirst traps <laughs>
7: To swing back to Last they're Annihilation good. when, like, they were laying in the flagship together. My brain was like, Ah, roommates! At good, <laughs> you.
6: good for you, they're just roommates uh... to call each other cockroaches and hunt
5: uh...
7: behind <laughs> each other. Yeah, <laughs> just like like Stephen Bucky, you know, just roommates, <laughs> friends. right? We need that book. Yeah, um, a oh, we, we need so that needed movie. <laughs> well, I need of, that movie, but like movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Movie, like streaming on OnlyFans, but
4: oh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's America's ass, all right.
6: <laughs> I have a really bad transition. It's not going to work. But speaking <laughs> of. Speaking of corny things, the supreme intelligence. not to
7: me. Oh, I mean the supreme intelligence. <laughs> that's, the your, su- <laughs> that's your transition.
6: I didn't say it was wow.
7: good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll ride the wave. We'll ride the wave.
6: <laughs> thank you. God. Oh, no, I just we'll you know thank you, Rod. Um, just I should just you know we put love in my two you. weeks. Just put in my two weeks notice. You know. Anyway, so, so speaking of putting in your time and then not, not being appreciated, the Supreme Intelligence <laughs> comes, I guess, I don't know, has come back and <laughs> done nothing, but <laughs> this My really weird cryptic. <laughs> yeah, right. The Supreme Intelligence, is t- the evil Tocito mask in this book, apparently, because does <laughs> nothing. But, you know, he could destroy the planet. I didn't really get that. But it gave Wiccan something to do and destroy the DeMamo ships. I was like, oh, okay that's cool
4: <laughs> i'm sorry i have to go back what how did wiccan think please be mended is a hard enough spell like has enough magical juice to put a very expensive <laughs> hero crafted sword back together mm, mend this bitch cantrips do not work on epic legendary weapon what the shit please be fixed uh, why don't you just try kicking it that'll do about as much good right
7: like 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 turn it off and turn it back on (laughs) (laughs) that's the energy you put in like (sighs) what i i am ready
6: for wiccan's spellcasting to evolve from him just saying i want this to happen i want this to happen i'm like okay right let's
4: let's evolve
6: as a sorcerer
4: <laughs> I mean, even if you got to make up your own shit, even if you have to make up your own like language or whatever, please, by all means, do it. We'll love you for it. We'll follow you through. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who have learned how to write in uh, you know, the mutant apocalypse language, and I'm sure there are people out there who have learned how to write Wakandan because there's definitely people who've learned mm-hmm. how to write uh, the Hoovian time lord alphabet. Thank you. Yeah, time lord. Wow. <laughs>
5: so yeah,
4: yeah. Some there are they're. they're there's, there's different styles of Gallifreyan, but people have learned how to write it. So by all means, write write new stuff and use weird symbols. We don't care. But by all means, please upgrade the please fix shit to no, something a little okay bit. i okay you
1: said it backwards. <laughs>
6: <laughs> you can't do that. Satana has that on copyright, okay?
7: Oh, so. oh my god. <laughs> I Which fully agree. <laughs> fully agree, though, that like, I like, one thing I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, an exception Scalibert, sycophant, and apologist. So I like that like the magic has like there's a magic system, right? That like we get to see the grimoire and like it is technical in that way. And like, I wish that Wiccan got more of that. And I know some other people as they as they've discussed, like, what is Hickman doing after this? A lot of people have been like, "Oh, like he should do Doctor Strange or something like that." And I would like him like giving more grounding and like uh, framing and construction to the magic system of the Marvel universe. And I know it's like not how magic works per se, but it would I think help make some of this stuff like more understandable. It's like I i don't know like yeah fixing the sword is hard but i'm also like you know he's a reality warper like like, what are the limits i don't know very difficult
6: i would say magic works the way the writer writes it that's it so if you're saying like i know you're like magic doesn't work that way they will make it work that way
7: he also might be a mutant so that's like another weird thing that is sort of like I, i feel like that adds another like weird twist to it like the the Tommy, Billy, are they mutants if Wanda is no longer a mutant? Like that all, it gets very weird very fast. I'm hoping that's like all sorted out.
6: They did get character development. So I appreciated that aspect and I appreciate the continuity of it one thing that I really enjoyed with this art, because this art wasn't my like, constructive criticism, this art wasn't my favorite because of the faces of the people and, you know, some people loved it, you know it's, it's, everything's not for everybody, but this was not for me the art of the faces, but I did love the way Dormammu was drawn mm-hmm. like, yeah, I really liked Dormammu and I loved See, his voice in this as well
1: I, I would have to say, like, I, I like this art better than the Vecchiano art, like, Vecchiano's a talented artist He's very stylized though and, mm-hmm. like, you're either going to love that style or the style's not going to resonate with me, and I'm one of those ones where the Stechiano like, style does not resonate with me. Like I said, he's a great artist, got a big, massive following for a reason. Mm-hmm. This is a lot more classic superhero art for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do agree the faces and especially the hair is not my favorite part that's come through.
4: Bring yeah. those five heads down to a four. Yeah. <laughs> I also I do,
7: feel like they look they look young in, like specifically like teddy and billy they look young in spots where i don't want them to look young like when they're on like they're in bed together they look really young and that makes it very confusing because it's like they are like Adults and they're married. Yeah, like it's like I get like Billy's a twink, but like (laughs) an age, you know, like a twink that can go to a bar and and, like like, he gets carded, but he's still allowed in. Right, twink's twink's
6: (laughs) age too. Okay,
7: right,
4: (laughs) even if they don't think they do. Right,
7: like a twink, but like he does rent a place on Fire Island. Like he's not. (laughs) There you go.
6: There you go. He's almost I'm, a twonk, but...
7: Right. Almost a twonk.
6: Exactly. Wiccan and Hulkling are at least 25 mm-hmm. years old. At least, are 23 at least. They're at like 20, 25, 23 between there. Yeah, they have they're, they're
4: in their early 20s, and, and I yeah. totally get that. But yeah, the, the faces and, and the proportions of the bodies read like younger. So sometimes it is hard to kind of tell how... How far they have come, or how far apart those points in time are. Yeah. Because (laughs) they go from looking, yes, absolutely like teenagers to teenagers? (laughs) <laughs> so it's like, could you make them just a little a little bit more discrepancy between the more adult version versus the what, like 10th grade biology students that we came to see. But I mean, overall, I like I love the color story. I was all yeah. about the color story. Yeah. The color yeah. story is gorgeously done. Just minor tweaks in the art. And I'm I'm honestly not even mad about them. I'm just like, yeah, tweak those a little bit. That'll be that'll, that'll just be even more delicious but yeah I mean you know overall they did they did quite well and that color story is just oh I could eat that for days it looked it's it looked so good and it got across so much which you can you could lose an entire book just because of a color story so I'm so happy especially where
7: they're like parallel to each other like the page where they raise the rings up Mm. like the the green tones Mm -hmm. with the uh, supreme intelligence and the orange tones the orange and yellows like Mm. they they divide that page so well and then when they switch I don't know I just thought those like last three pages were like very stunning
1: this artist does a really good job with the background Dramamu yes Dramamu looks fearsome in this mm-hmm. issue but like mm-hmm. this artist does a really good job with backgrounds where a lot of yeah. the artists aren't like
6: just kind of like draw a room, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ooh, like,
4: background. You're like, oh, that's.
5: You're
6: what, like, is what? That? The attention, the attention to detail in the background is stellar. Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely yeah. agree with mm-hmm. that. Like that, that I feel like that, that for me personally, that makes a book because then I feel like I'm actually in the book and in the story. Mm-hmm. Like I'm actually like mm-hmm. watching a movie or a TV show because it's not just the characters; it's everything.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, the, no, no. yeah.
1: The scene where they're at Avengers Mansion, I was like, holy <laughs> wow, that is a really <laughs> yeah. good destroyed building. <laughs> Right there.
5: Mm-hmm. Like, most yeah.
7: artists would just be like scribble, scribble, scribble. Like that's the right. like detail in there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Like it's really hanging by a thread.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, you could, yeah. you could feel the timber, the wood, and and whatnot, just like just about ready to collapse. You could tell that the building was sagging. It's like it's, it's
1: going down. <sighs> it's yelling <Right>. timber.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it definitely gave the
8: world a lived in feeling. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it truly did. Just wonderful.
6: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the art that can basically tell you a story without the words is doing is like doing above and beyond of his job. Like that's just because I mean, you, you should need the words, but if you don't need the words, I mean, then it's just even more powerful to the reader because then you're getting double the story. I feel like if that makes sense. So. but um, speaking of double the story i did love the parallel of hulkling and wiccan you know hulkling fighting you know the supreme intelligence was like the you know this you know, like the adversary of like
7: one of one of the, the undead fascist hive mind as he called it exactly yeah <laughs>
6: and then wiccan facing dormammu and then them having the captain Marvel rings and the switching spots and then teddy giving like This speech about his father, that to honor him, I just love just that whole flow of stories that really like made them be like, oh, well, you know, they're such like a power couple that they can switch and like defend each other's adversaries and defeat them, and that that's because of their love and the love for their family, and like this queer couple gets that where a lot of you know straight couples in stories get that you know deep meaningful family love you know transitional impact in stories, but then we get this with. This couple too and I don't feel like that's been done a lot with queer couples and I was really happy to see this level of depth with that even though I know it was like a little you know really sweet and everything when it was <laughs> but I I loved it because I'm like oh well you know the gays need really sweet too let's get this
4: <laughs> see and that that was slightly that was not my favorite part unfortunately <laughs> like it felt a little too plot armory like it it was just ooh, we're just gonna do this now like we've never done it before like it would have been I, like uh, honestly they didn't even need to add an extra page per se they just needed a panel where you see you know the ring that hulkling is wearing start to glow and warm up and maybe say something like i finally found you ready to switch like just some yeah, cute little quip yeah, or something, I get that. so you uh, yeah. know what direction it's going, mm-hmm. and then they, you know, and then go ahead and do that. If that if that that one panel, just like one little small clip, was in there, and literally just concentrate on the two rings that they wear, that would have easily opened up that that plot line for you to do what you needed to do, and not have as many questions. But for him to pull it out of nowhere, felt, a little plot arbory, and I'm just like, yeah, oh, I have feels. <laughs>
7: <laughs> yeah I feel that I will say I do appreciate that this was a story where it was like their like love helped save them but not mm-hmm. because it was like oh like my love made me magically stronger, or like, you know, like the, the anime fairy tale where it's like, friendship helped me overpower you, even though I should have been dead. But it's like, it's actually like practical. It's like, no, I like, my ring, either. my wedding ring allows me to switch places so somebody who's more capable can handle this situation. And I actually really like that. It was like, that their love was not what gave them, like, super strength or, like, allowed them to turn into, like, eternal Sailor Moon. It's like, No, they're just switching
4: places. (laughs) Okay, but who would wear the Serena dress? Wicklin or Hulkling?
7: Hulkling. (laughs) Hulkling. Only buff boys are allowed to wear skirts. That is the rule these days. (laughs) If you have giant pecs, you will be wearing short, skimpy skirts. Or else. Those are the rules. (laughs) I don't
5: make them, but I do enforce
4: them oh my god that's just gonna be fun. all i get all i can think now is these big thick ass green thighs the short Yikes. ass skirt the low v cut with the pecs just bulging out the top i'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just
6: saying. for hulkling and freya did love going back a little bit their little connection i wonder if that was a little innuendo though saying you know that her in and in her other reality she had to kill her brother because he became mad power and i'm like oh interesting
7: i didn't even think but about that. that
6: but then she i do like it at the end where she's like you know you probably won't become mad because you have all these people that love and i thought that was really sweet and i hope they expand i hope al ewing when it's in guardians they expand on their relationship because i never even thought about you know wanting to have that relationship like explored like, it didn't even cross my mind, but now yeah. I want it. Well, I mean, <clears throat> and if
4: he does go mad with power, he knows that there's somebody there who will put him down like a rabid dog. I don't <laughs> want Hawkling to die, though. We can change <laughs> no. him. He can be fixed. <laughs> Please don't kill him. is <laughs> so fascinating
1: yonder. because she came in with. She, we don't know as much about her from her reality, right? So, like, yeah. Philovela and Moondragon came from their reality. Of course, our Philovela is dead, and our Moondragon is mourning her and having to see a copy of herself be with. With her wife still, and she's yeah, it's got to be tough too. So, well, like,
8: yeah. that's kind of been kind of sort of fixed, but not really.
6: <laughs> oh yeah, that has
8: been Yeah, fixed. They, um, they, well I mean, Phyla's not very happy about it. No.
6: Moondragon <laughs> didn't want to kill this Earth, this this 616 Moondragon, because she was like, you're broken, but it's not right to kill you, which is true. You shouldn't kill someone just because they're broken. So she's like, let me fuse with you to help you fix you, because we're both the same person, technically. So now they're one and the same. And yeah, the same. and,
4: mm-hmm. and Phyla
8: us. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Violet is mad because they didn't consult her.
6: <laughs> yeah, and no, no, yeah, they didn't consult Freyel at Phy-Label. all. I Phy-Label. think Phy-Label. it's Phylavel. It is yeah. I can't speak it, but it is Phylavel. You are absolutely correct. And They didn't consult her at all, and like, how would you feel if your like, partner fused with the alternate dimension of themselves and became one? It's like, gay? <laughs> and,
4: and do I still get to date them or be with them or not? Because if that was it, I would, if I can't still be with the person that I was with and that I love, I would have some Fucking problems, especially if I saw them with somebody else. Cause what the shit? Like, oh yeah, they're still the
6: like shit? in the still like in love. The I feel like the one from the alternate reality is in main control in the driver's seat, and then the other one's kind of just there. It's weird. I don't know. It's yeah. complex. I think we're gonna <laughs> but, get that the thing.
1: Moon Dragon's also done that before. I mean, like she lived yeah. in her cousin's body for a while after she became an oh, actual man. dragon of the moon. So like,
6: that's true.
1: And then her cousin had to like watch her as a baby. A whole bunch of Moon Dragons been through some weird.
6: Shit. So this isn't
1: the weirdest thing she's been through.
6: <laughs> Being a telepath is weird. Being a telepath is weird. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I definitely want to read Guardians, um, especially now more that I know that there are so many different queer characters on it. I want to see what it's about. But if I were to see a Hulkling Wiccan book, I would honestly love to have them do like a shorter story arc so that I could get like a really nice trade and have it really be like impactful. Because I, I think honestly, not enough people know how deep and meaningful and impactful Wiccan and Hulking, Hulkling's relationship can be, especially in book form. And getting that like on the page and in our hands would be really nice. I think if it was too long, people are like, oh, they're gonna expect me to pick this up for the next two years. Whereas if they were to put out like a nice five to six book special, I think that would work, especially as a trait. Yeah. What
7: about you, uh Broadway? Um Yeah, I so I've been reading Gar. Guardians and Last Annihilation, I'm like fully invested. And like Guardians is like the only non-X book that I'm like consistently reading. So, you know, their introduction there, i really like but and i I, and i like the building out of this like marvel cosmic landscape and i know that al ewing is about to do like some work on venom in like a post king in black situation so like the integration of all those characters and sword and all that i think is actually really cool but i would like to see them take center stage a bit more in guardians basically what has happened is that like the guardians are to the kree scroll empire what sword is to krakoa where they're sort of like benefactors if you will so i would be excited to see them take on that leadership role and take on like yeah we're supplying you guys so like i have authority here or like what happens when the guardians want to do x and hulkling is like that doesn't work with my citizenry you know i would like to see like that tension and whatnot worked out
6: now i know nathan and kyle you have both been reading Guardians um because of me um (laughs) (laughs) y'all obviously this is you're gonna probably still read Guardians um after this book but given what you know what Broadway and Raven have already said would y'all want a short run of Wicked and Hulkling or would you possibly want an ongoing
8: I want an ongoing um I I'm really enjoying what I what I've experienced with these characters I mean my, my first my first experience with them was in Empire to be to be honest Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm probably going to be going back and reading Young Avengers once I'm once I need a break from my Thor read, but yeah, I I definitely want new material with with them and hopefully not just these little one offs every couple of months. So,
1: yeah, I, I would say. I love the characters, and their one-shots work well. I think, though, they're characters that work. It's really hard to have a couple's book. Like, the last couple book that I remember being halfway any good was Mr. and Mrs. X, which you have to have a lot of relationship drama in those stories to kind of, you know, make an exciting story. Like, you know, it's Gambit and Rogue. They've got a little bit of drama they had to work out. So... I think that made that book work. I don't think Wiccan and Hulkling exist to have that sort of relationship drama that's going to make for maybe a compelling story on their own. I love them in team books, and I really want them to to flourish and shine. And like, we've got to have our gay space princes like to be around for forever. But do I need them? I, it depends on. The type of story depends on whether, like, my ideal wouldn't be for them to get a series together just because I know what that usually creates for the relationships. And it's usually like a relationship drama that happens in there. And as much as I said, okay, maybe this is a little too sweet, I don't want them to have relationship drama because I do want that one representation of a queer couple that just okay cool they're like sue and reed <laughs> like kind of thing you know the, yeah. the, for the queers, but
4: slightly less toxic and hitty
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, but they're not yeah they're
6: queer not them
5: <laughs> yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah I I would uh, I would want an ongoing if you know Hokling was an emperor and they weren't part of Guardians because with him being such a high caliber in space and them being in a space team it's harder to have a solo especially an ongoing with that going on and not just being them you know because I feel like uh, an ongoing would be good especially with the right writer that can do an ongoing Um, because not everyone can just like not everyone's strengths um, would give them a good way to develop their characters beyond just like their young adolescent relationship and could develop we could really see a queer couple really flourish with the bad and the good but just develop them as characters in general and maybe help each other grow as superheroes and as people and it'd be at least maybe 12-ish issues that's technically kind of an ongoing um to see them really flourish as characters but since he is emperor still and they are on guardians i would say probably just a five issue run that way they still develop as characters but it's easier to write since they are a part of this big grand scheme of story plots that's guardians and being
7: like over half of space
0: Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. And so Kyle, my best friend in the whole wide world, he and I started this show way back when with Jonah and Kevo, back when the team was just kind of like, my guys, we were always going to segue over and start doing Thor at some point, but Krakoa happened. And so we sort of wound up making this giant super project with so many incredible voices It made it a little bit more difficult for Kyle and I to start talking about Thor. So with the advent of our trade waiting segment, it gave us an opportunity to discuss a title that was something near and dear to our friendship. Thor and Loki Double Trouble is a fun little kind of side manga-ish story that features art by the incredible Hiru, an art team that I'm always talking about how much I love, as well as letters by the incomparable Ariana Mar. Now, we loved reading this book, and we hope you guys enjoy it as well. As always, guys, we love making this show for you two to three times a week, every single week. So, guys, please feel free to check us out over on YouTube and Twitter at X's for Podcast. As always, I'm Nico, Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, guys, enjoy this last segment. Keep those mutant lights let Those Krakoa gateways open, and guys, we'll see ya Hey, everybody, I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at
8: Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. And I'm Kyle. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D R A N T I S eight two.
0: And this is Thor Bros, where we examine the adventure. Wait, wait, the- wait, wait, wait,
8: wait, wait, Thor Bros?
0: Well, because you know, like, we're here to talk about Thor and like Bros and like Thor Bros.
8: That was our old idea. This is trade waiting.
0: Oh, oh, okay. So I guess that makes this trade waiting part of the X's for Podcast family of programming, where we take a look at comic books, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week. In trade waiting, we take a look at a recent trade or miniseries event that we didn't cover at the time, but. Looking back, we feel we probably should have. Now, you might have caught that we're talking a little bit about Thor and Loki, and I have a feeling that, you know, Kyle and I have a few opinions on Thor, right, as two of the many resident Thor lovers here on the show. And we're here today to talk about Thor and Loki Double Trouble. Now, I have to be honest, I'm kind of a pretender. I read it a bit late, right? Mm -hmm. I read it for this segment right? I'm I'm the worst, right?
8: That's part of the point of this segment.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what it is, right? Yeah. That's, like, why we do this. There's yeah. gotta be a reason to go back and look at a story and... That's what I really love about doing this. Now, when I mentioned this story to you, Kyle, you
5: mm-hmm. were
8: like,
0: oh, I love that. Now, had you collected this at the time?
8: I had I had seen it pop up on the upcoming books when it first started publishing. And I was like, oh, that looks super cute. And I love Thor and I need to read this. So I, I totally dived in. After the first issue, I was like, oh my God, I love this so much.
0: Now, okay, so I pride myself on being like, you know, this, big Thor fan, and I'm all about all the Jane stuff, blah, 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 right? And I somehow didn't even know this book happened, which is Ooh. bizarre on a couple of levels. Now, we're of course here today to talk about Thor and Loki Double Trouble 1 through 4. The writer on this title is Mariko Tamaki, artist hiru letterer, VCs Ariana Mayer, and this is where things get a little funny. I famously talk about how much I love Guru Hiru on this show. Friend of the show, Ariana Mayer, is on this title, so... There's like so many things about this book I should have fucking heard of.
8: I kind of feel bad that I didn't mention it earlier.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and that's kind of the thing that's super magical about talking about these stories. You know, we talk about Thor and Loki all the time, you and I, like, you know, we think, like, oh, this was, you know, I most recently read in Thor, because even if you're not caught up to something like currently the Donnie Cates run, you might be caught up to something like the recently concluded Jason Aaron saga. Now, at the end of that, Great. You can read that whole thing played out on Marvel Unlimited. And you might be someone who goes for complete stories. So just because you're not reading what's coming out on the shelves now doesn't in any way diminish your fandom, right? But like it, that does kind of create these parallel streams of fandom all over the place, right? Where right. you can be a fan of Jane, you can be a fan of... You know, this sort of young Loki and Thor. So Kyle, I gotta know. Of your of your options, right? I know you haven't read as much Jane Thor as you would have liked to yet, because you know, Mm -hmm. as much as there's not as much as we would all like, there's so fucking much because she was an Avenger, she made appearances everywhere because she was such a hot commodity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Jane Thor or classic Thor, modern retakes on Thor, like the JMS run. Where does your Thor lie?
8: Mm, Well, I only read a couple of the Jane Thor issues. The majority of my reading experience has been the JMS run and the Fraction run. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of reading the Fraction run right now. So honestly, I feel more connected to the JMS one.
0: You know, there is a sense of hope in JMS's Thor mm-hmm. that I feel like perhaps the Fraction Run is a little bit abandoned hope, all ye who enter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, not for nothing, but there is something about Olivier Coipel's Thor that is, he's so wide, like he's wide like a hamburger. <laughs> and that's so sexy to me for some reason, right? Yeah. So I I get I get real into it now I mean, don't get me wrong, Pascal Ferry can draw
5: anything.
0: And his work on Thor, also really beautiful. If I'm not mistaken, the Fraction Run has Fear itself, and Fear itself was Stuart Eminen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who is a fucking genius. But you know, I, I like I like my Thor thick like a hamburger know what I mean? <laughs> I
8: do understand, yes. <laughs> A
0: little extra beef with those buns, that's definitely mm-hmm. what I'm looking for, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, i, I kind of with you, I like my Thor hopeful, right? I definitely enjoy an optimistic view on Thor, but mm-hmm. I think my Thor does have to kind of be, like, I specifically like Jane as Thor and the unworthy Odinson, and it has nothing to do with Thor being unworthy, making, like, you know, I don't need him to suffer. I specifically Specifically like seeing him in a new modus yeah. while someone else has the mantle.
8: Right. I'm aware of that period and it intrigued me but at that point in time I was really limited in what I was able to purchase so I didn't really get a chance to to read it at that time and then once I started trying to get into Thor, that was when we had originally started working on the, the original Thor Bros project at, at that and that kind of got. I believe
0: what you're looking for here is a Krakowan gateway opened. Yes. <laughs> all of our other plans.
8: Exactly. <laughs> and that actually brilliantly transitions
0: me to the point I was about to make. You know, when you say that you had to like make a decision, I think a lot of people who examine a comic book franchise from the outside and look in. Maybe can't see how expensive a comic book franchise can get, but like, if you want to read everything X-Men, you're looking at 15, 16 books a month, and sometimes stuff will double ship, sometimes stuff gets a one-shot, they appear over in King and Black, they appear over in the pages of Avengers, and you wind up in a position where there's a lot to buy. Now, at its peak when Thor was really just churning out hit movies, and the title was at its, like, creative full mast, right? Mm -hmm. It was Jason Aaron writing the hell out of some Thor with a Loki book coming out, and frequently some sort of miniseries, and Angela coming out, and then original sin was a huge event and you know people were like oh wow thor played such a big part in fear itself not thor plays a bigger part in original sin somehow and then yet again oh yeah and then you know there's the thor's element of secret wars and Mm -hmm. that's also huge for thor and then there's war of the realms which is huge for thor so you know, people say to me, how expensive can reading a comic line get? You know, it can get really expensive really fast. And I say it every time. Letters Pages programmed us to believe that we are solely responsible financially for the support of an entire industry. And, you know, that kind of knife play is super non-con. It's dub con at the very least. So I don't ever blame anyone for being like, I didn't pick that fucking thing up. because I like, put that right. thing back where you found it or so help me. You know, that's- <laughs> I don't blame anybody for getting Mike Wazowski about it, but, like, I saw Thor and Loki Double Trouble, and, like, part of me was just like, no, I want no part of this Hiddleston nonsense! And, like, you know, I... I, Oh, come
8: on! (laughs) Now,
0: I don't know if anybody else here saw Loki, which was a super exciting six episodes, but, like, trust me, I've seen Tom Hiddleston shirtless, and I want every bit of that nonsense. But... (laughs) I, I found myself being like, you know, because this came out right as I was starting to really try and ramp up what the show was doing over here on Exodus for Podcast. And I found myself saying, Thor, Loki, double trouble. I just don't want to jump in. But now that I've seen it and I understand that it's sort of like the, the high spirited fun, light energy that best encapsulates the JMS run, that thing we love about Thor. You know, I am so glad that when I said to you, I want to do a trade waiting segment with you, Kyle, would you want to do this Thor and Loki book I found? And you were like, oh, I loved that! We have to do it! <laughs> I was thrilled. Because, you know, I I did kind of feel like there's this, there's this episode of Golden Girls, right? And it's the beginning of season five, and Blanche has written a book, and she hasn't slept in days to write the book, of course. And she is, of course, spouting in gibberish, and the book is incoherent nonsense. And she just throws the manuscript in front of the other girls and says, open it, read anywhere, the magic will touch you. And like that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about this, though. <laughs> you can open it anywhere, Kyle. Yes, the will touch you.
8: Yes, you can. <laughs> and
0: like that's what's so good about it. Now you know from the first issue. I was maybe a little bit charmed too easily because, you know, this is basically giving me the best parts of, like, a Scotty Young chibi effect with perhaps, like, My Little Pony-esque fake high school antics in, (laughs) in just the most magical way. And there was something childish but, like, playful and, you know we're two adult men best friends, but like mm-hmm. we, we do get very playful and silly. And I, I feel like in so many ways, even though I would never be this antagonistic of you, there was something very cute and playful about the way Loki kept goading Thor. And, you know, it got such a good reaction. And I feel like from so, the minute you open the book, you get
8: that. So are, are you comparing me to Thor and you to Loki?
0: I think we can agree that between the two of us, I am much more likely to be labeled the bad seed.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll give you that. (laughs) I love you.
0: And I'm tall and I like it cold. So, like, it totally fits for me.
8: It does. And,
0: you know, I love the way the book opens on the rainbow (laughs) bridge of Asgard.
8: Absolutely beautiful.
0: And it looks like the fucking tree of life. From Animal Kingdom, Mm -hmm. just jutting up into what I can only describe as my art history final from freshman art history. Just in the background, that architecture is everything to me. And then Thor just comes in swinging. And it's such a perfect encapsulation of the energy of Thor now, how did you feel about like giving up the trappings of the dramatic, hard face of Thor? Because, I mean, you're in the middle of the Fraction run. Pascal Ferry can draw anything, but he draws a very serious
8: Thor.
4: Oh, very. Yeah.
0: Right? How much fun was it jumping back into this sh- masterful sheerification of Thor?
8: Oh, God. It was so great. When I first opened it, I squealed. <laughs> I, I squealed in joy seeing it. The way I read it... The- Feels more like Thor and Loki as teenagers, not as adults.
0: And you know, I feel like it's that childishness, that playfulness that made this feel perhaps like the four part animated opening episodes of a Thor and Loki TV show. Yeah. It was something that invited me about this. And I feel like by not really leaning into the Hemsworth and not really leaning into the Hiddleston, mm-hmm. you wound up with characters that felt like sort of cute animated versions of something different. And I don't know, this really works for me right away. How did you feel about the episodic nature of what really was a pretty tight four-part mini?
8: I thought it worked really well. I agree. It feels like the opening of an animated series. And even the way that the characters introduce themselves. They it feels like they're introducing themselves to a new audience to get them used to these these characters, this world. It's a great starting point for new Thor fans.
0: And especially because I feel like nobody is a Thor fan in a vacuum at this point. Like, you can't convince me that too many readers are picking this up having never heard of Thor. You know, people aren't going, Thor, never heard of him. You know, for the most part, they've either seen the films, or they've seen an Avengers movie. Statistically, I think they have to have seen one of them, right so this is sort of reminding you where in thor's timeline this goes and one of the best moments to capture that for me was loki cleverly causing thor to lose his own audience (laughs) the defeat to you know i know i compared myself to loki but the truth is and it's probably not hard to figure out but as somebody who runs this overbearing show You kind of have to assume I have a a slightly larger than life kind of showman personality. I'm sure it comes across in the recordings. And I definitely relate to a Thor. I, you know, anybody who's ever tried to follow me on Twitter knows that my profile picture is me flexing. And like, Mm -hmm. there is something about the bravado of Thor I very much relate to. It's a folly that I like to look to Thor to see myself be better than. You know, I see Thor do better, I want me to do better. So seeing Thor succumb to a classic Thor folly submitted to him by a classic Thor villain, you know, it's Loki goading Thor into this for what must already be the millionth time in their timeline, and it sure is the millionth in ours is something that, for me, is such a necessary element of going back into Thor's past. If you're going to tell me a Thor growing up story, I don't need you to tell me the time that Thor found out he was really good at math. Although, I have to be really honest with you, now I'm really desperate to write this. (laughs) Thor in like Asgard school, and it turns out that he's really good at math. And the Warriors three are like, come on, Thor, we're going to go hunt a giant, you know, deer dragon boar thing. And he's like, "Uh, guys, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm grounded. I stole a magic flute. And they're like, oh, okay. And meanwhile, he's actually going to, like, a mathletes tournament, and he's got to, like, get into his special mathletes toga. (laughs) I really want to write this. So, you know, I guys, call me Marvel, call me. So... I feel like that's this is what I want from a classic Thor story. Kind of like not to be reductive, but in for my fandom, save the progressive storytelling for guys like you know JMS Fraction, Donny Cates, Aaron, and you can kind of save the classic stuff for classic t- stories. This is this is just such a light, fun thing now. Kyle, you perhaps are a little bit better known here on Exodus for Podcast for standing the do-right. You are a guy who (laughs) you root for the moral victory. I do. And, you know, I do too. My guys are Thor and Cap. I like guys that overcome the darkness in themselves. I also love Wolverine, but, you know, he lives by a code, right? But, like, you know, I I like my guys to have a little bit more blood on their fists. But so... You know, when Thor submits to his own foolishness, when he shows... I mean, I don't know how he's even holding the hammer and the fucking call at the same time when it should make him not worthy. He's stealing it. I don't know. But how do you feel about seeing Thor play this silly role that he falls folly to time and time again?
8: It's super fitting. Just reading JMS and Fractions Run and Kieran Gillen's Journey into Mystery... Thor is very, very susceptible to Loki's proddings. So it's totally fitting that he just immediately accepts this challenge that Loki throws at him. And it it's hysterical because you know that everything's going to go wrong. And as you see Loki continuously trying to sabotage the scheme, it, it's like, yeah, this, this totally makes sense.
0: And, you know, because... The whole point is that Loki's just trying to be a shit starter, to be mm-hmm. really honest with you. He's like, just trying to have fun! Yeah, Trickster's gonna trick, you know what I mean? You can't get mad at a zebra for having stripes. And Loki is the trickster god. It's not like Odin is like, and my son shall be Loki, the one who is very good at getting windows to have no streaks. Like, he's not the god of streak-free windows. He's the god of mischief. This is the kind of shit that theoretically steal a horn from dad. He's not ending the world, although it turns out that perhaps he's doing a little bit more bad than he thought. It is hard to miss, though, that in these teenage male hijinks... Where Loki, who does play a more feminine role, to be honest, you know, both in look and in traditional sorcery magic is kind of, you know, a little bit more fey. Mm -hmm. He tricks Thor into being very phallic. Go get the giant horn. (laughs) And then Loki's the one who blows it because Thor doesn't actually have the uh, the go through to blow the horn and in that way even though we're talking about what is essentially uh, you know a children's version of the story of Loki and Thor we're still getting sort of a high moral version of things and it's really best exemplified through the fact that the horn does in fact summon the sister of the Midgar serpent and (laughs) I think you know it's a really good time for dragons Right, mm-hmm. yep. you know, without giving away too many spoilers, it's not hard to look at the Lego sets and see that there perhaps are some dragon-y things about Shang Chi. And dragons are a big thing in classic fairy tale stories. And while I don't think of dragons as perhaps Norse myths, it's pretty exquisite how this dragon contains a very ice and yet sort of Asgardian look. There's something really excellent about the design of not just the interiors of this book, but the overall feel of it, where I feel like Guru Hiru and Ariana Mar, along with Mariko Tamaki, really created a visual representation of a bigger idea. I really am transported to somewhere now my question for you kyle is definitely how do you feel about the sort of different trappings of what this story opens with i mean thor really doesn't have a bad guy in the first one it's kind of loki it's kind of loki yeah and then in the second one it's kind of a monster
8: I mean, it's the serpent, kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah.
0: Because <laughs> like in the JMS infraction runs, you're really seeing Thor come up against ideological villains. He's like, no, you will not eat this planet because um, lives are here. So don't do it, man. Right. But here it's literally a little bit more bonk. Like he really is just hitting people with hammers. How does it feel to sort of stripping Thor back from the complexities of sort of the diplomacy of saving the universe and a little bit more hit a dragon with a hammer.
8: I mean, I would think that Odin's favorite ice cream shop is incredibly important. Go.
0: I would certainly think <laughs> it is. That stall was his favorite.
8: Absolutely favorite. It's refreshing to not have these world-ending situations all the time. And just to have fun with a a monster that pops up. It's It's something that you don't have to worry about the overarching... Ethics of trying to resolve the, the situation. It's just you beat up the dragon and put things back together.
0: And, you know, that's really the kind of the simplicity of what Thor and Loki represent, because they really are brothers. You know, there really is a sense of, but everything will be put right at the end that allows you to have just sort of a punch them up. And, you know, I kind of thought that great, you know, I, I settled down to this book where I was already having a good time, I was I was really happy, now I guess at the end, I guess I'm signing up that they're going to be fighting a dragon forever, and perhaps this is why I'm really glad we covered this one in Trade Waiting instead of Live, because once I got to just about the end of the second issue, and came to discover that there was a much different plot than it seemed it really helped me to understand that this wasn't telling any single story about Thor and Loki as kids, but rather, this was kind of meant to be an entry point for new readers, just like you said at the beginning of this, sort of an entry point for new readers into who Loki and Thor are. And, you know, the best part is Marvel made a decision that, you know, it's right at the halfway point. Jane enters the fray while they don't go as far as to take her helmet off or anything and her go Hi, future girlfriend, Jane, what up? Talk to me when I got cancer. You know, it's a very excellent way to integrate the Thor experience for new readers. How do you feel about the continuously rolling story?
8: I really enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting Jane Thor to show up when I first started reading this. I thought it was just going to be a normal Thor, son, and Loki story. And then all of a sudden we're in another dimension and we've got Jane Thor, we have Lady Loki, I mean it's just it's such a great way of introducing all these different flavors of the character
0: and you know that's I love that you said flavors because that's why I opened this whole thing with who's your Thor. You know, I'll be honest, I'm very Jane Thor, but I'm probably a little bit more Gillen kid Loki than I am, per se, Aaron Loki. Not -hmm. that I don't love Aaron's Loki, terrific character, and all of the writers who worked on Loki in his solo series at the time. Also, humongous credit to them. But, you know, I think there's that moment that on the digital of issue three, page 12, there's that moment in the four block panels where it's Loki and Thor looking at Jane and Loki says, Ah, huh, what do you know? And there's this amazing (laughs) look on their two faces. And I feel like they represent fandom in that moment. And the fact that Marvel said, you know what, we want the book that creates an accessibility for new readers to have a range of options with these characters, they went out of their way to show a positive depiction of a female warrior in the form of Thor as Jane, who is capable of standing up to anything with Thor as the Odinson. It just really landed for me. I felt that it was a very strong move that represented the future of the brand in a lot of significant ways.
8: And you forgot to. mention the fact that she has to go and remind thor that he needs to help fight
0: oh absolutely the fact that she represents sort of the more driving thor that she and that really is them though that really is her in every Mm -hmm. way i guess
8: the responsibility uh, yeah
5: yeah
0: if i had one ding for the entire book for art because i don't really have a ding for the art but i like to I like to acknowledge that not everything is perfect and you can always find one thing you might have drawn a little bit differently. In the third issue on the 15th page in the digital edition, there is a two panel split in the middle of the page where Jane is looking from Loki to Thor between the two panels. And there is a lot of really beautiful symmetry between the two images that I really love, but there is something just slightly off about the way the helmet sits for me where I'm like, ah, That's, I think, my only art ding in the whole book because, I mean, on the next page, you have the two Thors swinging their hammers at each other, and there is such a balance of large and small panels to create an imagery, but it still keeps very big, chunky panels to keep the book easy to read, and it's sort of that same dexterity with a mind toward the possibility of younger readers that makes me more okay with a character I don't care for. I do not have any love for Lady Loki.
8: I can completely understand that, and yeah, I I agree that I'm, I'm not a big fan of Lady Loki, but this iteration of her, I actually kind of enjoyed.
0: Agreed completely, now I can't help but notice that she is severely less sexualized, and I think that immediately is already what I like more about her not to be a big old spoil sport, but I don't much care for the needless sexualization of women to make them villains. I don't think that enhances your story. I don't think it makes your story better. So the idea that women need to be depicted as sexual and using their feminine wiles against men doesn't do it for me. And I'm certainly not, you know, coming for JMS on Lady Loki. It's been said much better uh, by specifically women who have (laughs) much more right to the discussion than i do but this decidedly less sexual version perhaps plays into the idea that marvel wanted the brand to carry for lady loki going forward i can't help but notice this is not the only iteration of lady loki i have seen in 2021 And to that extent, I can't help but wonder then if this was Marvel's first attempt at maybe softening a Lady Loki. I mean, sure, Sylvie definitely does have history in the comics, but this is a little bit more actual Lady Loki. You know, Kyle, you've read Lady Loki more recently than I have. While I've done a few Thor rereads lately, I tend to start at the Aaron because that's my happy spot. How did this feel for you, jumping from JMS Lady Loki to here?
8: Like I said, I was not a big fan of JMS Lady Loki. I think I I remember sending you a message when I got to the big reveal of what she had done to Lady Sif and my outrage over it. And this definitely helped to change my view on her a bit. It fits with the feel of this book in general everything's more tongue-in-cheek everything's more self referential
0: with like a loving bounce to it
8: with, yeah it's it's just it likes to to break the fourth wall kind of you know
0: but without doing it in a way that yeah
8: because it, it's, it's yeah like,
0: kind of it's not yeah. in like a it's not we...
8: full-on deadpool breaking the fourth wall
0: nobody's turning to the camera with a cigar
8: Exactly.
0: And, you know, I feel like you you had said that to me in the first place. You are like, I love that this book has such a good meta time with itself. And I think that's the one of the things that made this book stand out for me. You could have read this with a huge amount of Jane knowledge. You could have read this with a huge amount of Lady Loki knowledge. You could have read this with just a functioning knowledge of Thor and Loki. But no matter what, you're not being asked to read this in a vacuum. There's enough context culturally that I feel like this book works pretty much beginning to end. The low-cost ending, the fun hijinks. For me, this was four issues that I was pretty happy about. Now, Kyle, you said you bought this at the time. So not to put a number on it, but you probably spent about $16 on this, all said and done.
8: Yeah, I think I think that's about right, yeah.
0: So how do you feel when you got to issue four and you read the conclusion of Double Trouble, which ultimately, you know, when you read the first issue, you think it's Thor and Loki, and then you find out that it's the sister of the Midgar Serpent, so maybe that's the Double Trouble Then there's two Thors. Maybe that's the double trouble. Then it's two Thors and two Lokis. Man, I'm selling this book up. You're all very (laughs) welcome. So... When you got to issue four, how did you feel about your four month and, you know, legitimately $16? I'm not belittling Mm -hmm. the the cost here. Like, that's something we talk about. We say, you know, was this $20 and four bucks? How did you feel at the end of this
8: experience? I mean, I absolutely loved it. I was giggling throughout the final issue. I thought it was a, a great experience and it was well worth my read.
0: And, you know, I'll be honest, because I did miss this at the time. I had to go back and buy it. I started to read it on Marvel Unlimited, and then I saw that issue four would not be available in time for our coverage. And I said, let me see how I feel about issue one and I'll make a decision about what I, how I want to handle this. You know, uh, I'll either buy issue four or after issue one, I'll go buy the trade. you know, whatever I'll mm-hmm. do. And I went up buying all four issues right away because I enjoyed it so much. It's the kind of thing where I want to put my money towards this. Mm-hmm. Now, I would probably say if you are a reader who requires massive amounts of continuity and... And uh, certain definite absolute outcomes as a result of your books. This isn't for you. Not at all. If you're in this for fun, I love Guru Hiru. And if you love Guru Hiru, I highly recommend you check out some of the excellent work they've churned out at Marvel over the years including a loving number of Power Pack minis, as well as a previous Power Pack and Thor mini called Thor and the Warriors 4, which was a mini that in our recent trade-waiting edition... So follow this one, Kyle. This is ridiculous. In our recent trade-waiting coverage of the recent Power Pack series, which led us to talking about the previous Power Pack series by Guru Hiru, we left this one out because it wasn't listed under Power Pack. It was listed under Thor and the Warriors 4. So we didn't know it existed. So this was sort of a cute little bit of research that led me to something else that was good to know. It's Mm -hmm. additionally important to note that there are other Guru Hiru Double Trouble series out there. Really? Yeah. If you liked this, there's definitely more for you to look at.
8: 2019, we had Spider-Man and Venom Double Trouble. Oh, these covers are so cute. I love them. Oh,
0: Oh, wow. I completely agree. They're so much fun. And again, they're by Mariko, Tamaki, and... And Guru Hiru. Now, I don't believe they can have Ariana Mar on letters because I don't believe she was with VC yet. But uh,
8: Tra- Travis Lanham.
0: Travis Lanham, great checking out, right? You must be on Marvel Unlimited right now.
8: How'd you guess?
0: Ah, see, (laughs) I went to marvel.com, so I went the wrong way.
8: (laughs) That's why I keep my tablet right next to me when we record. So
0: all said and done, I really enjoyed this. I think it's worth the time investment. And frankly, I think if you're someone who prefers to buy your books instead of borrowing them from Marvel Unlimited, it is worth the purchase. Now, Kyle, if you see another Guru Hiru Trouble series, you think you're going to pick
8: it up? Uh, I definitely think I'm going to pick it up. I actually may go back and and read that Spider-Man and Venom 1, and I'm I'm definitely going to read Thor and the Warriors 4 as well.
0: You know, I'm actually going to do the same. The Thor and the Warriors 4 series is somehow a series from that run that I missed. Like I said, I had read them before, and I didn't realize that was out there, so I'm certainly going to go back and get that, and I'm likely to get this Double Trouble. As far as if I would pick up another one I think it might depend on the heroes if it's two people I'm invested in I'm there and Spider-Man and Venom I definitely read a lot of the Donnie Cates Venom series in the last few years leading up to King and Black because of my interest in Thor and gore so that led me to Null it's all very connected so I think yeah I think I probably would as long as it's heroes that I'm invested in here's fingers crossed to maybe some Wolverine appearing in the pages of double trouble.
8: Hmm. Who would they pair him with? Sabretooth?
0: You know, I would probably want someone who sucks less. Okay. Um, who doesn't suck? Who doesn't suck that would be fun with Wolverine? I mean, Spider-Man, but okay. who else doesn't suck that's fun with Wolverine? Captain America. Captain America always a good time. And he and Wolverine recently co-starred in the Weapon Plus one-shot, Captain right. America and Wolverine.
8: Oh, okay.
0: Which, of course, that one-shot would be part of the Weapon Plus one-shot line that also featured Absolute Carnage, speaking of Donny Kate's Venom that featured another one-shot, which was World War Four Weapon Plus. In World War Four Weapon Plus, we were introduced to Manslaughter, who reappeared in the pages of X-Force.
8: Hey, it's, it's all, all coming around. All,
0: it's all freakishly interconnected. <laughs>